So I don't know, I don't know if I'm starting with, um, with the phrase, uh, <clears throat> how closely do you read your mail, which would be apropos, or um, you had to be there. But, but, but here it goes. Here's the opening, here's the opening story. Uh, this summer in, in July, at the age of 69, Dennis Volstad passed away. He had, uh, he'd served our country in the United States Army. He, um, uh, he, he worked for uh, the Green Giant Company. Can everybody sing the song, the little Green Giant? Yeah, <clears throat> very good. I'm proud of you. Uh, he, um, he ran a dry cleaners. Uh, when he was eligible to retire, he didn't. He kept working. He, uh, uh, he was active in his community. He um, was active in his church. He never married did not have kids, passed away, and a few days later they scheduled a visitation, a funeral, and a graveside. And people came, as they should. What's interesting about the story, and it brings us to it today, is that a few weeks after the visitation, funeral, and graveside, everyone who attended the visitation, funeral, and graveside got a letter in the mail. And the letter said that because you attended the visitation, funeral, and graveside, you are now included in the estate of Dennis Valstead, who passed away. Now, in addition to uh, leaving in his estate money for his church, can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. okay, thank you. Um, uh, and, and, to, and, and apparently to his family as well, he set aside a little money to give to everyone who attended the visitation, funeral, or graveside. And, and it turns out um, it was com a complete secret. Like his, his last will and testament had written on the outside, do not open until day after my death, right? And then it was only read by the, the, the lawyer that was going to be executing and handling it and that he had entrusted the will with. Um, no one knew this, but like uh, 267 people came to either the visitation, the funeral, or the graveside, and those 267 people are sharing $500,000, <laughs> which you're like, okay, well, that's, it was, ended up being like 1800 and something dollars that everybody who went to the visitation, the funeral, or the graveside got a share of. And, and, it, and it's pretty cool. Like, like the people who played the music at the funeral, check. <clears throat> the people, uh, you know, like who worked for the funeral company, you know, check. Um, and I don't mean actually like check. I mean like check, right? Um, the, uh, there was a family that was talked about in the article. There was a family, a, a young, kind of a young couple, and they came, to the, uh, they came to the funeral, and they signed in, and they attended with three of their young children. Five checks. <laughs> Five checks. And I know you're all stunned going, who would do such a thing? And I don't know, Dennis Valstead would, right? You know? And they interviewed people, and they were like, it would be just like him, because he did different things. He was a different guy, but he was a good guy, and they all loved him. They all loved him. I think there was one person that knew about it ahead of time, and guess what? That person didn't attend because he was actually out of town on family vacation. And he knew that he was going to miss out on a check, but, but he was on family vacation. Now, all of this begs the question. They couldn't know about it ahead of time. But if you could know about it ahead of time, would you go? Is it a dumb question? 
It's not a dumb question. It's a good question. If you, if you could know about it ahead of time, I mean, and I'm not talking about people that don't know Dennis. I'm talking about people that know Dennis, right? If you knew Dennis, you, I think the answer for all of us would be yes, right? I mean, I would go. I'd go, I'd go because I love Dennis, but also because... I mean, let's talk about human nature for a second. This is the way I wrote it down. We tend to comply when people are paying attention, right? Yeah? I mean, check the, check the speedometer of your car before and after you see the vehicle with the light bar on top, right? We tend to, com- so you're with me, right? We tend to comply when we know people are paying attention, but even more so, when we think there's something in it for our good. I mean, I'm talking about human nature now, right? I hadn't even cracked open the Bible. I'm just talking about human nature. We, we tend to comply when people are paying attention, and especially when, when, it, when it's for our good. So what's, what's the answer? Would, would everybody in the room say, yes, I would have gone? Go, go ahead, real quick. What would, you, would you have gone, say yes or no? Yes, okay. Yeah, we'll see about that in a second. <clears throat> Turn with me in the Bible to 1 John 3, 1 through 9. If you could know, would you follow through? If you could know that this is for your good, would you actually follow through? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. We, we pick up... Um, we pick up in this letter that's precious, not just, not just to this church and especially the way we've used it in, in, in one-on-one discipleship, but, but it's precious because of its place in the New Testament. This is the gospel good news, and it especially is today with the content of what John is offering to us in this, uh, in this passage a passage that I won't lie to you and say is, uh, is easy. It's, uh, it's a challenging passage, but here we go. This is what it says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us and that we should be called God's children. And that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize Him, it doesn't recognize us. So, so John is making it clear that we are God's children now, in a second, he'll reference the fact that, that, uh, that, that there's going to be something even greater, but, but, but you are God's children now. E- even, if, even if people don't walk up to you and say, hey, you look like a child of God, right? Even if people don't walk up to you and say, hey, you look set aside and different, you look like you, uh, you know, are, 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 are one of God's people, even if people don't do that, it's understandable because the world didn't even recognize Jesus, But that doesn't change the fact it's true. You are a child of God. Dear friends, now we are God's children. And it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, Jesus, we will be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. You are already God's child in the present, here and now, but there's something even greater that's coming, and He's like, he's like I don't know what it is, but, 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 but it doesn't change the fact that you are God's children. And everyone who has this hope, I'm, I'm, I believe that, that this hope is referring to the second coming of Christ, who has this hope that Jesus is who He says He was, and He's coming back, purifies Himself even as he is pure. 
Every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and there is no sin in Him. Every person who remains in relationship to Him does not sin. Any person who sins has not seen Him or known Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous in the same way that Jesus is righteous. The person who practices sin belongs to the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. God's Son appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, thanks be to God. So, so John introduces this section with the statement that we are children of God. Now it's worth pointing out that this section that's included in this letter is the same and yet different than the previous section. In the same way that the previous section was the same and yet different from the previous section. Because as I had the chance to share a couple weeks ago, and I have no doubt you, 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 you heard and were aware of last week, is that John's letter is written to a community, it's probably more than one church, to a community around the region where John had sort of lived in retirement that, that was dealing with false teachers from within. Remember that a couple weeks ago I, I, said, I said we have seen the enemy and the enemy <laughs> is real close by because these false teachers were already in the church. And so John's writing a letter saying, let me tell you the truth to combat what the false teachers are saying. And in particular, in particular, the false teachers were teaching something that sounded right, known as Gnosticism, but it eventually was completely not right and led people astray and led them to the, to the great depths of hell. And John said, don't go to hell because you followed someone who's been lying to you. Pay attention to the truth. And this is one of those sections. And what he says is, we're called to be pure. We are called not to sin. And then, before he's done, he begins to say some stuff that blows our minds. But, 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 but before I get to that last part about how we are now capable of not sinning, let's talk about what he says in the middle. First, no one is superior to the moral law. This, this is clearly John addressing one of these false teachers. The, the, the Gnostics would have taught that, that, that since you have now received the Gnosis, which, which could be understood as like the special knowledge, since you've received the special knowledge, and the special knowledge is that Jesus has saved us from our sins and that Jesus has now made us right regardless of our sins, the Gnostics then believed, some of them then believed, then you can go and sin all you want. They actually taught that. And John's combating that. Now, I don't know about you, but what, what would it be like to, to, to come to a church that the pastor says, hey, because of Jesus, you can sin all you want. Because, here's the deal, and, and they've got the Scripture to support it. 
I'm, you, no, I'm not, I don't mean that, but they think they have the scripture to support it, which is Jesus forgives us of our sins. So if you sin, you're forgiven, which means you can sin all you want. What would pastor appreciation morning be like in a church like that? <laughs> Man, we love that preacher. I mean, he tells us we can do whatever the we want. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> that's not this kind of church, by the way. <laughs> it's not this kind of church. But that's what he's addressing is that no one is above the law. No, no one can say that it's okay for me to sin, but you can't sin because that's hypocrisy. Later on, he, he refers to those people as liars. And so right in the middle of the passage, hear me, right in the middle of the passage, he proclaims four truths about sin. And I'll offer them to you really quick. If you want to scribble them down, I'm borrowing heavily here from William Barclay who wrote about this 70 years ago. First, sin is the deliberate breaking of a law which a person knows to be wrong. The original language which actually John is referring to here in, in, in the Greek, the original language was that of an archer who sees the target and is told, hit the target, but misses. To sin is to miss the target of righteousness. And, and second, sin, this is according to what he just said, sin reverses the work of Christ. Because, because the Bible tells us that, that Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. But if the world then goes back and continues to sin, then we're reversing what, what Christ came for us to be freed from. Third, sin happens when we fail to abide in Christ. And then finally, he teaches us clearly where sin comes from. It comes from the devil who's been around from the very beginning. He, he, he believes it's important that after we've been, been, been included and proclaimed to be children of God, to still address the realities of sin. Sin is real. Sin is bad. <laughs> Sin is of the devil. Sin reverses the work of Christ. And sin happens when we are not abiding with Christ. The way we would say it is, is, is we've, we've, we've taken Jesus, made Him our Lord and Savior. We've taken the Holy Spirit, made Him our guide, and then just stopped. Stopped submitting to Jesus, stopped submitting to the Holy Spirit, and started submitting to who? ourselves sin can be understand understood as believing more in myself than in god and all of this is true and everybody everybody in the room right now is like yeah yeah it's the basics i got it but what do we do with that last part what what did, what did he say the person who practices righteous is righteous, righteousness is righteous in the same way that Jesus is righteous. But the person who practices sin belongs to the devil. Because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. 
those born from God don't practice sin. But God's DNA is in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. And you're thinking about the person sitting next to you saying, I don't think you got that letter in the mail. (laughs) Could we we pause in the service real quick and just call on testimonies from people who know sinners that are already in the room? I I got the space. We got some time. Anybody? Maybe not. We'll start with spouses. Any, any spouses willing to stand up and say, he claims to be a child of God, but he's still a sinner because John's making this all kind of cloudy. Is John wrong? Everything I've read asks that question. You hear me? Everything I've read. Is John just wrong? Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe, 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 the, maybe the Wi-Fi signal between him inspired by the Holy Spirit, maybe it was just in and out that day. Do anybody of us believe that the Bible's wrong? No. That's not the explanation. So, so what is? And I, and I tell you, any student of Scripture... I'm certain of this. Anyone who's gone through first uh, through through one-on-one discipleship gets to this passage and goes, "We're going to have to talk about that for a minute. <laughs> Come back next week, <laughs> right?" We struggle with it, and even the scholars do. There's one commentary written a few years back. There's one commentary. I don't own it, but um, but I read somebody making fun of it. There's one commentary that says, "The uh, the preacher." would uh, do well to simply skip that passage when Sunday comes around. That's what one commentary said, yeah. And you're like, yeah, you should have heeded that advice, Scott. <clears throat> and the best commentary I have sitting on my shelf, I got it when, from my parents when I graduated from seminary like 18 years ago or whatever, this, this wide, and it's like 12 volumes. The best commentary I have spends the, the, like, like pages and pages on this passage we've just read, and it ends up with, I don't know. I don't know what to do with the contradictions that seem to be evident in this passage with the passages that have come before. I don't know what to do with the contradictions that, that, that seem to appear between this passage and the passage that will come later on. See, because earlier on, John says that every one of us in the church are sinners. And we're comfortable with that. Eh, you know. And earlier on, John says that, that every person in the church needs to confess their sins to each other. Right? Maybe we're not as comfortable with that, but it's still in the Bible. And then later on, John says in chapter 5 that any person who, who doesn't admit they are a sinner is a liar and the truth is not in them. So you got one, two, three pieces of evidence and here John says, but a child of God is capable of not sinning. Those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. So what gives? How does it all add up? How, how is it reconciled?
Is it possible that we really are capable of not sinning? Yes. We can live without sin. But most of us don't. We, we can live so filled with the love of God, so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that we do not sin. That we hit the mark every time we let it fly. But we don't. As for the contradictions, this is, this is my best attempt. Is that, is that John is addressing in each chapter different false teachings that this community has been exposed to from within. He's dealing with them head on, but his words for one overlap with his words for another. So he's telling the truth in chapter one, fact. And he's telling the truth in chapter two, fact. And, and in chapter three and four and five, he's telling the truth. But in each section that he's dealing with, and they're not perfectly divided by, by chapters, but allow me. You know, but in each section that he's dealing with a different nuance of false teaching or a different type of false teaching that he's made aware of, he says the truth, but, but, but here the truth seems to bump into the, to the way that he said it over here. It's still the truth, but, it, but, it, but it's confusing to say that you're all sinners. But, but if you're a child of God, you're not sinning. This is, this is how Barclay describes it at one point. John is not setting before us a terrifying perfectionism. But he is demanding a life which is ever on the watch against sin. That's a fancy term for paying attention. A life in which sin is not the normal accepted way which I think describes the modern church. I mean, the modern church that says, well, you know, preacher, I'm just a sinner. You make it sound like you're supposed to be sinning then. John says, stop. A life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but the abnormal moment of defeat. That if you let 10 arrows fly, Maybe all 10 of them hit. If you let 20 arrows fly, maybe 19 of them hit. Instead of whatever. John is not saying that the person who abides in God cannot sin. But he is saying that the man who abides in God cannot continue to be a deliberate sinner. And how is this possible? It's possible because of the power that we have received from God. It's possible because the leading of the Holy Spirit that tells us what is right and wrong and, and literally guides our hand. but it is not okay to continue to walk around with the excuse that I'm a sinner. We think somehow gives us. Which brings us back 
to the opening story. Everyone in the room, I didn't hear anybody yell no. Everyone in the room seemed to, to imply or outla- outright say, yes, yes, if I knew in advance of the good that would come to me by doing this thing, I would do it. Is that not exactly what John's letter is telling us? For 267 people, the letter came after the funeral. But for every one of us, the letter comes in advance. And it says this. Listen, listen. You are God's children. You know what that means? You have been included in the inheritance. The estate names you. And the gift you've received is a power to live life blamelessly, filled with love that changes the world. Why why did we walk around last week and invite 200 homes to come to a party this afternoon? We just want to change the world. And we think telling our neighbors that we love them and God loves them is maybe the first step to do it. Well, we can say, if I know it'll be good for me and you tell me in advance, I'll follow through with it. Well, here you go. Let's pray. Lord, by your word passed on to us through John, your beloved, you make clear what is available if we will accept it and abide in it. And that is the power of your son, Jesus Christ to live blamelessly, to be filled with love, to be a light like a city set on a hill. Lord, oh, that your church would hear and do Oh, that my life would be about hearing and doing. We come confessing all the ways that we've fallen short. And I come dedicating my life back to that which you have said is right. All this, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and amen.